Um, she missed the intro, but that's okay. I'll tell her all about it when I get home in August. So I want to start. You know, in, in young adult class, I can't remember who, who, who was there. Did I, did I tell you the slide, the slide illustration? Did I use the big slide illustration 90 days ago? Anybody remember? Okay. Do you want to tell it, Joe? No, okay. Uh, he committed it to memory. He, he, was, he, was re- he really loved it, I'm sure. Uh, but let me, let me just, there's a guy named Bruce Wilkinson. He wrote The Prayer of Jabez. Some of you know this book. Uh, I'm not sure I would agree with everything Bruce says, but uh, he, he has one great illustration in the book. He's talking about his boy, his five-year-old boy. He takes his boy to the park, and there are three big slides in this park, and his little boy, he runs through the small slide, bam, up and down. Have I told this to all of you guys? You guys have heard me use this before. Some of you, okay. Uh, yeah, so the next thing he wants to do is he wants to go to the middle slide, the middle side slide, right? He wants, that's what he wants to do. And uh, he watches the other kids, and he's not sure. He, he goes up halfway. He, he chokes. He comes back down. He watches the other kids some more. And then he decides, I can do this. So he does it. He, he goes up the ladder. He's down the slide. Now he wants to go to the big slide, right? This is what he wants to do. So... Uh, he watches the other kids doing it. He thinks maybe he can do it. He gets halfway up and he freezes. He freezes and he calls out to his father. He says, Daddy! Daddy! I can't do it without you, Daddy! Come help me, Daddy! So, why do you think I would use that illustration to begin a sermon like this? I bet some of you young adults remember, but you're too shy to tell me. You know, his five-year-old reminds me of me, right? I mean, if you love Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, you're always going to be looking up that big ladder. It's always going to be a big slide, and it's always going to be more than you can do by yourself. So, it's a good illustration for us. God's going to bring you to the big slide. It's just inevitable. He's always going to bring you to the big slide. It's the slide you can't do on your own. It's the slide that you must have Him with you or you can't do it. And so, I, I, if you don't remember anything else, remember, remember um, little Bruce Jr.'s cry to his father, Father, help me! I can't do this without you! I run into so many Christians and they, they say, well, I've, I've called the counselor, I've called the doctor, I've called the psychologist, I've called the psychiatrist, I've, I've, I've called the politician, I called, I've called the path, I've called everybody. And sometimes I'll say, have you talked to God about it? Have you been giving it to God? They've talked to everybody but God. Remember Bruce Jr.'s prayer, Daddy, come slide with me. I can't do it without you, Daddy. We are in our 12th year here, uh, Karen and I. Uh, Eleven and a half years ago, we came here to replant a dead church. And I told you last week, it's been impossible every day for almost 12 years. Uh, It started out as an impossibility and it has been impossible. But God just keeps doing it. One thing I learned when I got here in Europe was that there are usually at least five international pulpits empty in major cities in Europe. And I thought, this is crazy. Why would these pulpits be empty? Why aren't there people just standing in line to get in these pulpits? And, and, uh, but then I, I've learned that now. 
it's your fault. Because you're just, you're all pilgrims. You're all transients. You're just like you're in and you're out. And it's hard. It's hard. You guys come, you guys go, right? And praise God, I think I shared it last week, we do have a couple of, of uh, folks in this church that are, you know, long-term residents of, of Milan, and we're thankful for that. And, uh, but it's like pastoring a parade. So the people are always going by. You've been in a parade. You've seen a parade. You, you stand there, and everybody goes by. And sooner or later, everybody's gone, and you're still standing there. And that's what it's like to pastor an international church. People just, they're, they're always leaving. They're always saying goodbye. They're always saying goodbye. And so that's a difficult thing for us. Uh, this time of year, we always get per, uh, parade fatigue. We fall in love with you, and then you go. And uh, that's the hard part of doing this job. You come here as a student, or you come for your career, or you're following your spouse, and uh, you search us out, you come and you worship with us, you get involved, you roll up your sleeves, you go to work, you worship here, you serve here, you give here. That's why this church exists. As I told you last week, it exists because it's God, God's good pleasure that this church exists. And He uses His people who come through that door to keep the doors open as they love and serve and give to Him here. And I shared with you last week as well, some of you come face to face with God here uh, in a new way. Some are saved here. But many who had a small view of God leave here with a huge view of God. And I told you Last week, that is our best compensation when, when, when we watch God change lives. That's our greatest joy and our greatest compensation. So, that's my big slide. That's Karen's big slide. The big slide is not that we live in Italy, we're away from our family, we're away from our culture, um, that you guys are always, you know, uh, you're, you're from all different parts of the world from all different kinds of traditions and denominations and all the diversity and all the financial challenges of a, of a church like this with so much um, turnover, those, that's not the hard thing. The hard thing is you come here. You make us fall in love with you and then you leave. And I'm not, I'm not blaming you, really, I guess, maybe a little bit. But no, that's, that's, the, that's what we do. That's what we do. But it's my big slide. You know, every year about this time I think, well... Are we going to continue to do this? Right? Do we continue to do this? And um, because it's still as impossible as it was back in 2003 when the head of the pastor search committee said on paper, this thing doesn't look viable and it has never looked viable. It's not viable in any human sense. That 35 to 45 people would keep the doors open uh, in Milan, uh, it doesn't make any real sense. No pastor in his right mind would come here and do this. Um, and am I saying I wasn't in my right mind? I'm saying <laughs> God called me to it. I had a friend ask me, uh, you know, my book's coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called Uncareful Lives. And he says, well, are you telling Christians to do things that are irresponsible? And I said, well, only if God calls them to do it because irresponsibility is in the eye of the beholder, right? 
I had a lot of people tell me this was irresponsible. Right? But God keeps doing it. So you have to be careful about labels you put on things. This is just a miracle. And, and I was sitting in there preparing. I was listening to the music. You guys always bless me so much um, when I come and listen to them practice. And, and I was thinking, you know, no matter what God does with me for the rest of my life, high or low, I will always treasure these moments with you. This has been the best part of my life. Uh, to be your pastor, to preach a huge God, and to watch some of you fall in love with Him to such a degree that you can never be the same. And you can never live it small anymore. It's been the joy of our life. Obviously, we have other spheres of our life. I'm not saying I don't, we don't love our family. Of course we love our family. But to be able to be called of God to do a thing and to watch Him do it. Because I always tell you, all you have to do is show up. And hey, all Karen and I have done is show up. That's all we've ever done is show up. And God has done the rest. So, John 6 is for me. Um, it's for me. And I think, well, I know, if you're a Christian, it's for you too. It's for you too. Because you have to know that Jesus is going to call you to impossible things and you have to know what to do with it. And John 6 helps us to remember what to do with it. So, um, Jesus is teaching His disciples that He is all they need. This, this account is recorded in all four Gospels. Obviously, this is something that God wants us to see and understand. We understand that the primary message of John 6 is Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. It's a spiritual metaphor. He's saying, I'm all you need for real life. That's spiritual life. I am the bread of life. We understand that's what the chapter is principally about. And he's going to teach all the way through the chapter uh, off of that metaphor that he is the bread. So I don't want to you know, mislead you in any way. I want you to understand that's the, the, the real focus of the passage, but I'm going to take another lesson from it. I'm going to take another lesson from the text tonight. And that is, we can bring the impossible things to Him. So, Jesus feeds. How many people does He feed? How many? 5,000 men. Very good, Electra. So, we know from the other Gospels that there are uh, women and children here. Some scholars estimate up to... I've seen estimates as, up, up as high as 25,000. We have no idea. It doesn't really matter because He, he fed 5,000 men plus with five loaves and two fish. So obviously we're looking at a miracle. Obviously we're watching Creator God create uh, food where there was no food. He's creating bread uh, that was never, you know, from barley that, that never grew and fish that never swam. He just creates ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing. Jesus is the Creator God. That's the first lesson that we see here. You heard Richard read the text, so I won't reread the whole text, but just to set the context, Jesus has just heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Um, the disciples have just returned from their first preaching tour, and they want to rest and be alone. Jesus wants to be alone with His men. 
But John tells us that the multitudes are continuing to follow Him. And despite knowing that most of these people will reject Him the next day, despite the fact that the disciples are encouraging Him to send them away, despite the fact that the disciples and He are bone-tired, Matthew's account tells us that Jesus felt compassion for the people. And so, Jesus turns to Philip, verse 5, and He says, and I love this, He says, where are... What does He say? Someone tell me. Where are we to buy bread? Now in the other Gospels, you see that He says, you feed them something. He looks at His guys, He says, you feed them. You feed them. Right? But I love this, I love this here in verse 5. He says, where are we? Like He needs them, right? He needs their input. No. Just like He doesn't need Pastor Jim or, or as uh, one beloved Filipino couple used to call Karen all the time. They still call her this. They email, they call, us, they call her Teacher Karen. Pastor Jim and Teacher Karen. Does He need us? No. Does He need you? No. But He uses us. He gives us the joy and the privilege to be caught up in what He's doing. We get caught up into the, the, the kingdom work of God. Right? I love it. He's going to take His men to the big slide. That's what He's doing, beloved. He's going to take them to the big slide. And I forgot to tell you the end of the story, didn't I? What happened? Anybody, anyone of the young adults, the story about the big slide, anybody remember? Daddy, Daddy, come help me, Daddy! What happened? Daddy came. And Daddy scooped up Bruce Jr. And he, and he, and he got to the, the top of the big slide and they, they went down laughing all the way. Right? I love that part. Laughing all the way down. It's what it means to be a Christian. We can't do the impossible, but He can. And, and, and when we risk the impossible, and He shows up, which He always does, it's joy. It's just joy. Twelve years of joy. I've had 12 years of joy doing what's impossible. <laughs> it's, I'm, just, I'm just along for the ride. And you ask Karen, she'll use the same word. It's just fun. I know some theologians don't like this word. John Piper doesn't like this word to use in this context. But I can't help it. Maybe he's wrong about one thing. I don't know. He's probably not wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But it's the Word that bubbles up in me. It's fun to walk with God. It's fun to watch God do what you know you could never do yourself. It's fun to watch Him do it. So when God calls you to the impossible, you run to it, beloved. My, th this is one thing I want to preach to you before you leave. You run to the impossible because God's waiting for you there and God will meet you there and God will do all His good pleasure there. You can count on it, whether you're sawn in two or not, as we talked about two weeks ago. God will do all His good pleasure. Laughing all the way down, it's joy. It's joy. It's always joy. I tell you all the time, God is doing... He does all that He does for His glory and for our joy. If you'll ever just simply buy into that and wrap your mind around that and start to incarnate that, 
My marriage is about His glory. My job is about His glory. My kids are about His glory. It's always about the glory of God. And when you learn to prosecute life like that, as Eric uh, Little said, the, the famous uh, Olympian from the UK, what did he say, Joe? You remember what he said? <laughs> Aren't you going to be glad when you leave? So I, <laughs> he's looking forward to it. Uh, so I won't bother him anymore. Uh, he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. Right? He was an Olympian. Remember, he wouldn't run on Sunday. His event was scheduled for Sunday, but he wouldn't run. Because the glory of God was more important to him than his medal. He would have surely won the gold medal. He was a favorite. But he says, when I do run, I give God all the glory on Sunday, but when I do run, I feel the pleasure of God. This is what I want you to never forget. It's true. Some of you will never experience it because you'll never risk anything for Jesus. But if you'll risk for Jesus, if you'll obey Jesus and, and, and place your faith in Jesus and exercise that faith in Jesus, you will feel the pleasure of God in your life. You will feel the pleasure of God in your life. It doesn't mean you won't cry. Because we're going to be crying. We've, we've already shed a few tears. We've lost a few people. You know, Corin is gone and Ben is gone and Christy and Mark are gone and... And uh, it doesn't mean you don't cry. Sometimes you do cry. And I love that great line in Twyla Paris's song. Uh, that song's entitled, Do I Trust You, Lord? And there's that beautiful line. She says, I will believe you even if I must cry. Don't you love it? Even if I must cry. So, Jesus says, where are we going to get the bread? How are we going to feed these guys? And as I pointed out to the young adults, um, Jesus asked one question and Philip answered another. Philip said, Philip told Jesus how much it's going to cost. That's not what God said. God didn't say how much is it going to cost. God said, where are we going to get it? What's the answer to the question? What, 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 what answer is Jesus trying to evoke from Philip? Tell me. The answer is Jesus, right? That's what Jesus is trying to get Philip to see. God doesn't care how much it's going to cost. Cost is nothing to God. Don't tell me how much it's going to cost, Philip. Look to me. That's, that's what he's looking for in Philip's life. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus is testing him. Now you know he always tests you, right? You know God tests you. He tests your faith, right? You know this, right? I'm always surprised. Folks are surprised when their faith is tested. I'm, I'm always surprised that they're surprised. You're not supposed to be surprised. You're supposed to know that your faith will be tested. God tests the faith of His people. All you have to do is read the Bible. A superficial read of the Bible, you will see God always tests the faith of His people. We saw it in Abraham. We saw it with Moses. Uh, we could name countless. Uh, Gideon, Jehoshaphat, you could just go down the list. God always tests the faith of His people. Do you believe I'm God enough 
Jehoshaphat to go stand before the horde and sing my praises and watch me rout them. Do you believe I'm God enough? Do you believe I am? It's always about this. And this is what this is about. <laughs> Jesus is saying, have you learned yet who I am? Philip, have you learned yet who I am? It's not about the money. It's not about the cash flow. Cash is nothing to me. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, including the 400 plus billion cosmos. I don't care how much it costs. What I care about is how you see me and how you look at me and how you depend on me. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. I like what John MacArthur says here. He says, with respect to Philip, he says, we tend to assign our own feebleness to God. Isn't that true? I know I've shared that quote with you before, but isn't that true when God asks us to do a hard thing? And we just look in the mirror, right? We look in the mirror and say, oh, I can't do this. Or we look at our resume and say, it's not on my resume. I can't do this. Impossible. I can't do it. Right? We're not supposed to be looking in the mirror and we're not supposed to be looking at the resume. We're supposed to be looking at an awesome God. I don't want you to ever forget that, you guys that are leaving. So back to Philip. He's about to have one of the most fun days of his life. But Jesus needs to teach him a lesson or two. So Philip does the math. It doesn't look good. 200 denarii, seven months' wages will not be sufficient. We know here, it tells us clearly in the text, verse 6, Jesus knows what He's going to do, but He is testing His men. He knows what He's going to do. And see, I know what God's going to do here. I know that God knows what He's going to do here. And you know, whether He keeps the door open or not, that's not the most important thing to me. The most important thing to me is that Karen and I stay on Jesus. You know, that we just stay on Jesus. <laughs> and, and if He has a new place for us to go, we go to the new place. It's not a problem. It's how we see our life. I hope you see your life this way. Everything's an errand on my way home to God. It's just an errand. Jim, run over to Milan and you know, preach to my people for a while. If he sends us to Papua New Guinea, Jim, you know, going down to Papua New Guinea for a couple of years or go down to Qatar or go back to the States. It doesn't really, it's immaterial to us. We're on our way home. We're on our way home. We're on our way to God. What we do here is really of... Not preeminent consequence. What matters the most is that we stay on Jesus. Because, and I'm going to say it again, it's just too much fun not to, beloved. I'm not willing to forfeit the fun. I know that's terrible theologically. Piper would kill me for saying it that, that way. Uh, so I probably won't post this tape. Uh, no, I'm not afraid of John Piper. <laughs> He's a gracious man. He would pull me up to his side of him. You know, he'd come alongside me and, and counsel me with, uh, with much kindness. And... Life's too short to settle for little bitty earthly things. It's too short for you to sell out 
totally and utterly to your career, or even your marriage, or even your kids. That's all too small. Your security and your comfort, it all, it's all too small. Your soul was built to walk with God. Your soul was built to tabernacle with God and you cannot tabernacle with God if you are in disobedience. You cannot do it. So, in eternity past, God planned that Christian and Sonia and Richard and Sarah and Johanna and Joe and Neil and Denise would leave us this summer. And I don't know where the next, the next Christian... Sonia, Richard, Sarah, Johanna, Joe, Neil, or Denise are going to come from. I don't have any idea, but God knows, right? God knows. God knows. They're on their way in eternity past. He set it up. <laughs> he set it up. You know, whatever your problem is, God's been working on it for a long time. You know how long God's been working on your problem? As long as He's been God. This is no surprise to Him. In fact, He has ordained this for you. He has ordained this trial for you that you might believe Him. That's what it's all about. That's what the trial is always about. Preeminently, that you might believe Him. So Andrew finds this little kid. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. And Andrew says, but what are these for so many people? Philip looks at the deal and he says, it's impossible. It will take too much. Andrew looks at the deal and he says, it's impossible. We have too little. They're looking at the same situation from two different vantage points. Philip looked at the crowd. He says, this is impossible. Andrew looked at the loaves. He says, this is impossible. What is their mistake? God incarnate is standing in front of them. You never need to use the word impossible. Ever. When you're walking with Jesus. That word is unnecessary when you're walking with Jesus or supposed to be looking at Jesus. So what I want to say to you, are you still on the small slide? Are you still playing church with God? Is it all just, you know, when I can fit it in, when it's convenient? Beloved, I, I think I say it enough, but I want to say it again. That's not Christianity. That's pseudo-Christianity. Playing church is pseudo-Christianity. The real question is, are you walking with Christ? Are you being changed by Christ? Are you willing to take risks, risk for Christ in obedience to Christ? And are you bringing all of the impossible things to Him. We're not to be fixed on the obstacle, beloved. We're to be looking at Jesus. Philip says it's impossible. It will take too much. Wrong! Jesus Christ is God. It is not impossible. Nothing is too big for Jesus to accomplish in your life. Nothing. He can keep the doors open for 12 years. I've watched Him do it. Andrew says it's impossible. We have too little. Wrong! Jesus Christ is God. Nothing is too small to be used by Jesus in a mighty way. I've seen that too. He can take, you know, 
a marginal accountant and turn him into a preacher. I've seen this happen. Right? <laughs> I've seen it happen. <laughs> he can take almost nothing and do something with it. And it's in the text, isn't it? Here's this little kid with five loaves and two fish. It's insane, right? It makes no sense. But here's this little kid, and he, he gives it to God. What does he do with his five loaves and two fish? He gives them to God. <laughs> and then God does an awesome thing. You know, some people tell me all the time, or they say on occasion to me, you know, well, Jim, I don't have a lot to give. Well, first and foremost, God wants your heart. Uh, it's not about how much. It's, it's about the heart. But what you do have, honor Him with it. Right? And then He does awesome things. He does awesome things. He keeps the doors open at redeemed garages for 12 years. Just little things. And he does, he does awesome things. With that, verse 10, I love verse 10, Jesus says, Have the people sit down. In Matthew 14, 18, Jesus said, Bring the loaves and the fish to me. And I, I always think, well, what, are they, what do the disciples think right now? What do you think they're thinking right now? <laughs> they're thinking, oh man. He's the answer. It's not about the money. It's not about the loaves and the fish. I think Philip and Andrew are saying, we should have known this. We saw it at the wedding. What did he do at the wedding? He turned the water into wine, right? Not a problem. They should have known it. And you should know it too. When you bump up against the impossible, when you bump up against the hard thing God's calling you to do, you, should, you, you need to be ready. I tell you this all the time. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. You look at Jesus. You give it to Jesus. And you wait for Jesus to do something awesome. You just do what you can do. You just do your little obedience. God will do the miraculous. God does miraculous things in little bitty obedience. This little boy, he gives his lunch. He's in the Bible! <laughs> the most important book ever written! He's in the Bible! This little kid, all he did was give up a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. That's all he did, but he gave it to God. He gave it to God. He's in the Bible. What he gave to God, God did a miracle with. Do you not see how awesome this is? Do you not see, do you not see what it means when God is calling you to, to, to give and be compassionate and be kind-hearted? Do you not see that, that when you obey God in this, that, that it unleashes His power? in your orbit and in the orbit of those around you. Another beautiful thing here for us to see, and I'm about done. I have no idea how long I've preached. Um, they, uh, the disciples were involved. Their faith was weak. It was weak, but they obeyed. They obeyed in the little things, and if we read the... The other Gospels, we see that Jesus feeds the disciples, or pardon me, the crowd, through the hands of the disciples. It's important that we see that. It was through the hands of His disciples. God will minister to everyone in your orbit through your hands. It's through your hands. 
you call yourself a Christian, He will minister to those in your orbit through your hands. That's what He will do. Philip said it takes seven months wages. This is impossible. Andrew says we got these loaves and fish, but this is nothing. Jesus fed ten to twenty thousand people. Verse eleven, they had as much as they wanted. Verse twelve, they were filled. Verse thirteen, they gathered up twelve baskets of leftovers. <laughs> I love this. So none of his disciples would ever get this question wrong again. They have to cart off a basket of leftovers. <laughs> right? Isn't it awesome? They have to cart off a basket of leftovers. So, when you start to leave, I need to look at Jesus in John 6 and I need to see what He does with the impossible. And I need to see that the answer, the answer to my emotional poverty this time of year is that Jesus is enough. Jesus will refill that, refill that emotional tank and the new Joe is going to walk through the door and the new Johanna is going to walk through the door and the new Richard and Sarah are going to walk through the door and the rest of you as well. They're going to come because it pleases God to be honored here. So it's all about Him. It's all about what He wants to do. So, this is our big slide. This is our big slide. And God has met us here for the last 12 years. So, as we say goodbye to some of you, we will look at Jesus and be glad we had a season together and wish you well and pray that you would go and obey God with glad, reckless joy for the rest of your life. That's what I want to say to you. That's what I want you to do. Because I love you and I know that will be your best life. If you will obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. And always remember, no matter how impossible it looks, Jesus knows what to do with your impossible situation. He's been working on it for a long time. He knows the answer. You're supposed to know the answer. He is the answer. He is the answer. We love you. It's an honor to be with you. God bless you that are leaving even if we have another week or two. God bless you. We have loved every minute of it. You don't know how much of an encouragement you are because when you come through the door, I was sharing with Christian and Sonia Thursday night, when you come through the door, I don't just see you come through the door, I see God's faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness when you come through the door. God is coming here to make much of Himself and I get the joy. <laughs> I get the joy. We get the joy. So, we love you. Godspeed. Call us, write us, come by and see us. And stuff like that. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord God, You're awesome. 
Thank You that You take us to the big slide. Thank You that You call us to do things that we simply cannot do alone. We must be in intimate fellowship with You. How You force us into that place. And when we come to that place, how You disclose Yourself to us, how You love us, how You grow us and change us. Thank You, Lord. Thank You that You've called us to a life of obedience, a life where we begin to taste infinite joy. Just a foretaste of the joy that You've prepared for us. Just a foretaste of the joy as we learn to go to the big slide and cry out, Abba, Father, You've called me to this hard thing. Help me, Daddy. Help me, Daddy. And we know that You will. You are a good and a faithful God. We rejoice and give thanks that we are Your children. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.